This message comes from NPR sponsor Hulu. Don't miss the new docuseries Black Twitter, a people's history. From memes to movements, see how this powerful online community shapes culture and society. Black Twitter, a people's history, is now streaming on Hulu. Pixar's new film, Elemental, is a family story and a love story. And yes, it's about fire and water and how they come together. Full of the studio's usual imaginative visuals, it also dives into the experience of a family of immigrants who sometimes find it tough to be who they are when they're shut out of parts of their own community. I'm Linda Holmes, and today we're talking about Elemental on Pop Culture Happy Hour from NPR. This message comes from NPR sponsor Hulu. Don't miss the new docuseries Black Twitter, A People's History, from Onyx Collective and Hulu. Directed by Prentice Penny, executive producer of Insecure, Black Twitter, A People's History, tells the story of how black voices found a new home online and blossomed into a force for change while laying down some hilarious tweets along the way. From the memes to the movements, see how this powerful community shapes culture, society, and politics. Black Twitter, A People's History, is now streaming on Hulu. This message comes from NPR sponsor Rosetta Stone, an expert in language learning for 30 years. Right now, NPR listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership to 25 different languages for 50% off. Learn more at rosettastone.com slash NPR. This message comes from NPR sponsor REI Co-op. REI has gear, clothing, classes, and advice for camping and glamping, biking and hiking, axing and... Snacksing? Visit your local REI co-op or REI.com for the million and one ways to opt outside. What does it mean to be Black in America? In NPR's Black Stories, Black Truths, a collection of stories as varied, nuanced, and dynamic as the Black experience, you'll hear it means everything. Search NPR Black Stories, Black Truths wherever you get your podcasts. Joining me today is Nikki Birch. She's a video producer for NPR's Jazz Night in America and also a co-host of the podcast A Thousand Eyes and One. Welcome to the show, Nikki. Hey, happy to be here. And also here is NPR Culture Desk correspondent Chloe Veltman. Hi, Chloe. Hi, it's great to be here. And rounding out the panel is Tasha Robinson. She's the film and streaming editor for Vox Media's entertainment site Polygon and one of the hosts of The Next Picture Show podcast. Welcome back, Tasha. Thank you. It feels like it's been a while, but what is time? (laughs) Absolutely. What is time? Elemental is about Ember, whose parents arrived in Element City as immigrants from Fireland and have raised her in their fire shop, known, of course, as the Fireplace. Ember is preparing to take over the shop someday from her father, but one day a mishap brings her together with Wade, a water person, get it, Wade, who immediately becomes fond of her. The two become unlikely friends as they try to solve some problems with local bureaucracy and they eventually fall in love. But can a fire person and a water person really ever be together? And can Ember ever be ready to take over the shop so her father can retire? The film, directed by Peter Sohn, tackles all these questions. The cast includes Leah Lewis and Mamadou Ache as Ember and Wade, plus appearances by some folks like Catherine O'Hara and Wendy McClendon-Covey. Elemental is in theaters now. Nikki, what is your bottom line take on Elemental? 
I really liked it. Yay! I saw the trailer for it when I went to see Dungeons and Dragons, and that was the only thing I saw. I don't normally watch trailers because I feel like they give the whole movie away. Mm -hmm, Um, mm -hmm. So I was really excited to kind of sit in the theater and immerse myself in the story. I think I was immediately struck by the world building. It's like you knew very clearly like what the story was. These are, you know, immigrant family moving to a new world and you see that they really have no place there. It was not built with them in mind. That hits home for me a little bit, you know, being like a military brat and coming over here and being in a biracial family. So for me, those parts of the story hit me in the feels. And, you know, it's a story about friendship it's a story about forbidden love and romance. And um, I wasn't expecting any of that. I was just expecting a story about fire and water, like not mixing and all the problems that come uh, thereof. So yeah, it was great. Awesome. How about you, Chloe? What'd you think? I also loved it uh, for the most part with some reservations. I mean, what uh, <laughs> Nikki just talked about with regards to um, this immigrant story and how it hits home for me, it's similar. You know, I'm an immigrant myself too. But I, I have to say I saw the film under quite rarefied conditions, which is I was invited by a friend who happens to work for Pixar to the Pixar prom, <laughs> which is this this lovely affair where they screened the film, but they rented out this beautiful Art Deco massive theatre in Oakland. And that is actually a theatre where people, they become American citizens. It's a theatre that is known in our area here for doing those ceremonies. And I myself became an American citizen in that theatre. Oh, my. Yeah, and at the start of the performance, they did a big shout-out to all the Pixar employees who were there, and also the Disney brass came up from LA. It was the first big company screening. Everyone was dressed up as the four elements. I went as Earth. And they did did a shout-out for, like, who has become an American citizen and who has become an American citizen here? And so many people in that company have that story. Well, that's lovely. Yeah, so this is a, the circumstances I was in were, were, were a little bit specific. And I was trying very much to watch the movie without thinking about any of that. And I must admit, the first 10 minutes or so left me a bit cold. The animation is <laughs> strangely flat. At least it took me a while to kind of really get into the characters. But then, oh my goodness, like Nikki, I was, I was a goner. <laughs> All the feels... Did you cry? I cried. Absolutely. (laughs) Oh, yeah. I couldn't stop myself. This all seems profoundly unfair. I I had to see this movie in an ordinary theater like a sucker. Yeah. What'd you think, Tasha? I had a very strong positive reaction to it that I was not expecting from the ads, from the early response out of Cannes. It seemed like this was going to be a Romeo and Juliet story. Mm -hmm. And if I can just be the Glenn in the room for a moment, I am tired of love at first sight stories. I'm tired of forbidden love stories. I'm tired of very standard stories. Mm -hmm. And I was a little resistant to this one because I felt like Pixar just went to this well of second generation immigrant resists parental oppression and expectation and tries to find their own path. I, I felt like all of these things were things that I'd seen before. But I never seen them in this way. And this movie just continually surprised me. It's a lot more nuanced than it looks from the advertisements. It's a lot less whimsical. But at the same time, it is really richly visually beautiful in ways that just caught my eye. Just over and over, I'd find myself kind of falling into these gorgeous compositions or just the tiny details 
Wade's hair is just sort of a poof of water that if you watch it, you can just see the surf circulating in it constantly. We meet some of his family members, and they all have different kinds of currents flowing through them. Mm -hmm. It's the usual Pixar obsession with micro detail in animation. Yeah. But also, the the emotions are so big, uh, which is something that I've missed from the last several Pixars. And Thomas Newman's score in particular is just wall-to-wall gorgeous and really moving. It's beautiful. So all of these different elements come together, I think. What do you think of this? Uh, this that one moment? I don't think I've ever seen anything so beautiful in any animated film in my whole life. That there's this sequence underwater where they're that you know with all the, the sparkly flowers. Have you ever seen anything more pretty? I, you know, I have in this movie. I think the shot that most caught me is a moment where the whole concept of Element City is that it's kind of a culture clash place, and the public transit system moves on water and the water is constantly splashing down into the fire people's little cloistered community and endangering and threatening them. And there's a moment after Ember has connected emotionally with Wade, where she stands under the sheet of water that comes off of the elevated train and just sort of reaches out to it. The color and the lighting uh, in that sequence is just so gorgeous. I mean, just poster worthy. It reminds me a little bit of Aquaman and just like it was like Mm -hmm. an underwater thing with all of these gorgeous colors that you didn't expect. (laughs) And I think with the water thing, um, just to talk about like the public transportation and stuff, like they're coming into a world that doesn't consider them and everybody's afraid of fire. But like the fire people are under constant threat of being destroyed by water. And nobody realizes that like for them, the outside threat is always the water. Yeah. You know, when I was watching the beginning of this film, I sort of shared with Chloe a sense that like at the very beginning, I wasn't sure I was into it. You know, there's this sequence at the beginning when Ember's parents come to Element City and they are when they say their names, Mm -hmm. the guy kind of says like, well, why don't we just call you Bernie (laughs) and Cinder? Because it's names that he recognizes and can pronounce. And my first reaction to that was like, is this a little glib? Like, are, are they sort of playing that as funny and kind of like a part, a natural part of the immigrant experience? But as you go on, it becomes a lot clearer, I think, that they are calling out the ways in which that experience is part of some of the loss that they feel um, as they try to join this community of Element City. And, you know, I was watching it and I was thinking, like, I don't know, is the whole thing here, like the battle that Ember and Wade are fighting is like against the bureaucracy and like the I was like is that a good like is that what I want out of like a big emotional movie but then I thought about the fact that like in everything everywhere all at once that's also one of the the big challenges yes and I commend to anybody who hasn't already seen it our frequent panelist Walter Chow wrote a review of this film that goes into kind of his parents immigrant experience and I've actually been doing this job long enough now that I'm capable of having a reaction like that and thinking, ah, right. But my experience of bureaucracy and how high stakes that feels is specific mm-hmm. to my experience, right? Mm-hmm. Growing up, my family's well-being and 
making a living was not reliant on navigating local bureaucracy. And for many people, it is. Yes. The more I watched this film, the more I felt like, you know, I think it is a much better story than I instinctively felt it like it was because it just isn't a story that is as similar to my family. But the more I watched it, the more I was kind of brought into this family. Mm. And I think that once I kind of made that shift, it was easier for me to understand those high stakes, even if they're not maybe the high stakes that I expect from a Pixar movie that so often is like, save the world, yeah. fight the massive, you know, Walmart type corporation or whatever the whatever the stakes may be. You know, the bureaucratic element of this movie is maybe the part that I struggled with the most because it fundamentally seems like the city is blaming Ember and her family for a problem that the city caused and for the failure of the city systems. And I feel like you can justify that. You can do one of those movie judo things where you can say, well, it's all metaphorical for how it feels to be up against a bureaucracy that's unfeeling and uncaring, especially as non-native speakers who are already facing a lot of systemic prejudice, which is a big theme in this movie. Yep. The idea that the fire people are, uh, you know, facing a lot of bigotry. At the same time, it just really feels unlikely for the city to be this dismissive of a problem that they themselves are causing. I don't know. I think that we see that often in black and brown communities. Like I'm thinking about just like you're having to abide by rules and regulations that were not made with you in, in mind. You have to figure out a system. Oftentimes you're you know, whether you're coming from another country and you don't know how things are here, you might go, oh, you're a fire person. This doesn't matter. We don't actually care about you. I feel like they do a really good job of handling like racism and discrimination in a way that is accessible to adults and children. And uh, with their experience where they first came to Element City and they're having their names changed, I know lots of people who had that experience. Like, I can't pronounce it, you know, mm -hmm. throw that out. You're going to be John and, you know, Susan now instead of whatever their names were. Related to all of that, of course, is that there's this really interesting climate justice theme that's running through it all. I mean, the idea that, you know, all those five <laughs> people are kind of shoved together under the freeway or whatever that is, you know, mm -hmm. and have to deal with all the pollution and the and the levees breaking or whatever that is. I mean, that, that was very powerful too. But one thing I did worry about was, you know, there were a lot of different sort of big social justice type themes in this movie. And so it feels didactic to me, like so much art these days. It's definitely a sweeping wave uh, in terms of the way stories are presented now and there are many reasons for that. And it's not necessarily good nor bad. I mean, I have my own feelings about didactic art. But because of that, I kind of, you know, I did have that strong emotional feeling, but I was also like, ah, I feel like I'm being hit on the head with messages, which I don't feel with if some of the other films of Pixar. Huh. I felt the opposite of that. For me, it felt like very much relatable to my life experiences. Oh, yeah. But still, whack. Did you, did you yeah. not think it was heavy handed? You know, you must think this. No. But here's the thing, like, is it any more didactic than the message of Wally that has to do with, you know, the big corporation and the environmental no. um, stuff around that? I mean, I think all of these films, you know, even like Toy Story and Cars and stuff like that, they're always saying something. Of course. This is, again, something where I think the more this is a familiar 
experience for your community or your family, the more it feels like, no, this is just a normal thing. This is not necessarily a declaration of a kind of an externally imposed moral lesson. This is just how families sometimes operate and the things that they sometimes face. It's sort of like if you're watching a movie like Brave and it's kind of about how important it is to kind of be yourself, right? That's something that is familiar to me as a kind of a thing that's important to know about life. So I think a lot of whether something strikes you as didactic, as you say, depends on whether it feels familiar and everyday to you Mm. or whether it feels kind of like this is lesson-y because I didn't find it to be that way. I guess that's what I would say. I didn't find it to be that way. Respectfully, Linda, I disagree because, you know, it's really about how the message is delivered, not what the message is. Take a film like Inside Out. To me, that's the superior Pixar film if you compare the two. Because, you know, you're getting all these messages and they're very relatable. You know, we all deal with emotions. We've all been teenagers. The way it's done is just very subtle. It operates on so many levels. It's There's humour. There's kind of interesting psychology in there, of course. But, you know, I don't know. I feel like it's less direct in it in it's wanting you to think or feel a certain way. Oh, I would disagree on that. I love Inside Out. I, I think it's a tie for me with The Incredibles for Pixar's best film. And I, I think it's remarkably yeah. nuanced and thoughtful about emotions. But I also think it comes in at the end and, and basically grabs you by the shoulders and shakes you and says sadness <laughs> is not a bad thing. And there's nothing wrong with that. These movies are not meant entirely for children. You know, for generations, animated movies in America in particular were aimed only at kids. One of the things that Pixar has done to just kind of like lift up the entire field is try to make stories that can appeal equally to children and adults. But part of that Mm -hmm. is making some of these messages accessible to children. And part of that means making them like very clear and drawn with very firm lines. In this case, there are all of these elements in this movie that are very complicated about community and assimilation and whether it's a good or bad thing, holding on to your culture versus being able to fit into society, uh, the responsibility that you have to your family and your traditions and those who came before you versus your responsibility yourself, privilege and elitism. There's all this stuff going on. Right. It's a ton. Some of it has to be a little didactic yeah. or it's just going to go entirely over kids' heads. Yeah. Good point. Yeah. One of the things I appreciated about it was it didn't have a kind of generic Immigrant communities deserve our respect as people who aren't part of them. Do you know what I mean? Right. It goes into some specificity about the experiences of Ember. And when I heard Ember talking about things like, how do you ever repay your debt to your parents when they have given up so much to make your life? That's familiar to me from Mm -hmm. hearing people talk about their own childhoods. And I very much appreciated the emotional specificity of that. And she mentions it a couple of times, and it's part of the story, but it's not... She and her father have a lovely conversation about it late in the film, but it's not something that I felt was over-determined. It just felt specific. And I think that's part of the way the film is trying to come from Ember's perspective 
and not just from the kind of so often you see films like this that are kind of from the here is why you as a person who doesn't live in Firetown should be nice to people who live there, right? Right. And I think it really comes in the other direction, sort of up from her experience and up from her family's experience. And I appreciated that. I appreciated that a lot. I did too. I did too. I have a general question, because this is maybe the thing that I struggled with most in the film. And it's one of the things I've seen reviewers calling out most. The fire community, the Firish, uh, they are in fact called, there's even a t-shirt that says, kiss me, I'm Firish. <laughs> I love that. I want that. <laughs> is a blend of different cultures. You know, where where Turning Red was very specifically drawn from the personal experience and culture of director Domi Shi. Mm-hmm. So there are all of these different elements of different cultures mixed in. And I've definitely seen people saying that it comes across as caricaturish, yeah. particularly how Ember's father speaks in a kind of pigeon English. The sort of elements of like, we came to this country and then we start started a convenience store. There are all of these elements that could be seen as parodical or simplistic about mushing in a bunch of different immigrant experiences in a very broad way. And I'm curious how everybody related to that. I mean, I don't know. I think people talk a lot about the accents, don't they? Like, why why do the fire people speak like they sound they're from Eastern Europe? It's all very confusing. I thought about that, too. I I thought about, like, clearly there's not supposed to be a one-to-one between, you know, who are the fire people really Mm -hmm. supposed to be? But I think in the end, I liked that about it. I think when you set up too much of a one-to-one, then you wind up making it a story where you're not saying what you mean. If you're really talking about a specific person's Mm -hmm. experience, but you're not saying who, then it can come out as a kind of, like I said, a kind of generic take. I liked the fact that elements of this could be familiar to a lot of different communities. I do agree the way the father talked, I definitely like paused and thought about it. And I was like, hmm. But I think in the end, I liked the fact that it was sort of a a lot of different elements, so to speak, from a lot of different, you know, potential experiences. You know, as you're saying that I could like, the way that the father was talking, uh, his the way that he was speaking, it did irritate me in the very beginning. But as we're talking about it now, I'm just like, I'm thinking about my parents and thinking about friends of my parents. Like, I can't hear my mother's accent, but all my friends can hear it. Mm-hmm. Like, my friends can mimic their, you know, their various parents' accents from wherever they are. And that's how they sound to other people. So I feel like I'm a little less mad about it now. But I mean, it definitely grated on my nerves to begin with. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. I mean, that might be part of the reason why that those first 10 minutes felt so jarring to me. Yeah. There are definitely sequences in this movie that I don't think work that well. There's a whole thing set at a sports oh, yeah. competition. Like Quidditch. Yeah. But like Quidditch. <laughs> yes. Why is it weird? A Harry but, Potter felt, movie all of a sudden? It felt, that felt forced to me. Yeah. There's kind of an emotional turn that happens in that sequence that I don't think felt mm-hmm. totally earned. Mm-hmm. You know, I, the more I thought about the movie, the more it, it grew on me. And I think I came out kind of mixed positive in the same way that I think in some ways we all did. Right. Uh, enjoyable film. I think the kids who were at my screening enjoyed it greatly. So tell us what you think about Elemental. Find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash PCHH. That brings us to the end of our show. 
Nikki Birch, Chloe Veltman, Tasha Robinson. Thank you so much to all of you for being here. Thank you, Linda. That was so much fun. Well, thank you for having me. Thank you. This episode was produced by Hafsa Fathima, Brent Bachman, and Mike Katzif, and edited by Jessica Reedy. Hello, Come In provides our theme music. Thanks for listening to Pop Culture Happy Hour from NPR. I'm Linda Holmes, and we'll see you all tomorrow. This message comes from NPR sponsor, the Capital One Venture X Card. When you book through Capital One Travel using the Venture X Card, you earn 10x miles on hotels and rental cars and 5x miles on flights. And you earn unlimited 2x miles on all other purchases. Plus, receive a $300 annual credit for bookings through Capital One Travel. The Venture X Card from Capital One. What's in your wallet? Terms apply. See CapitalOne.com for details. Support for NPR and the following message come from IXL Learning. IXL Learning uses advanced algorithms to give the right help to each kid, no matter the age or personality. Get an exclusive 20% off IXL membership when you sign up today at IXL.com NPR. Last year, over 20,000 people joined the Body Electric study to change their sedentary, screen-filled lives. And guess what? We saw amazing effects. Now you can try NPR's Body Electric Challenge yourself. Listen to updated and new episodes wherever you get your podcasts.